Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. I'm just over here mocking you. Yeah? Were you just uh, mouthing along with me uh-huh. as I was talking? Welcome. <laughs> uh, pretty cool. We don't, we're just going to do a quick merch announcement, and then we're going to write into the horror today. I like it. Uh, pretty cool new merch in the Bad Magic Store this week. New mini collection titled The Deep Void, depicting an ominous, shiny black sphere, frantic with pulsing electricity in the middle of deep, dark woods. Also see a small cloaked figure surrounded by protection spells. This is great for my stories. Okay, great. I'm glad it plays in. Uh, you can choose from a tea, wall art, and a really cool clock. Take a look for yourself at badmagicmerch.com. And so what story does it play into? What what spring fan-submitted true horror lore do you have for us? Well, it has nothing to do with the spring, but thank you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I have three tales today. I know how you love the little quick hitters. Yeah. I think that they're all going to fill you with terror. Okay. I think the first story is like a nice warm-up of a possible sighting of something. Who knows what? Mm-hmm. My second story I'm most excited to tell. I think you're going to lose your mind. Okay. And my, which um, we'll say it's about an attachment, possibly. And then my third story, I will just tell you the title that the fan gave it when they submitted it. Yeah. The Jacket on the Tombstone. The Jacket on the Tombstone. It gives away nothing. All right. I don't want any complaints about my previews giving away the stories. I'm sick of it. <laughs> uh, my first of two stories, actually inspired by one of the stories I told last week. Yeah. That story of click, clack, Slide. Uh, the story got me thinking, like, what other creepy urban legends are out there that I'm just not familiar with? And it turns out, so, so many. Oh, good. So today I'll be telling the story of Charman, an urban legend coming from California. And again, we'll be exploring the intersection of fiction and maybe fact. Okay. Then I'll show, uh, share the story of the only legally haunted house in the U.S. What do you mean? Uh, it's legally declared as haunted. Oh, I was interpreting that as like legally haunted. It's like, oh, do they give out passes for you to like legally hunting? Like, I was like, what? <laughs> uh, one Levetta place in Nyack, New York, sometimes called the Ghostbuster House, uh, <laughs> due to the so-called Ghostbuster legal ruling. Um, I'll be exploring that. Not a story I found uh, particularly all that scary, but a very fun one. Okay. And just such a little unique piece of like horror lore trivia. Can I tell the fans one quick thing to help them cope with click, clack, slide? Sure. That I've been doing when I close my eyes and I see her. Uh-huh. I think of it as a dance move instead. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're going to think about like a... Is it tap dancing or... Hey, click, clack, slide. No, I think it's a jazz move. I think it's jazz. Oh. Yeah. I mean, should be tap, but I was trying to get sounds out of my head. But it could be like a heel-toe ball change into a slide. Okay. Okay. Like the electric slide. Um, after you get your game socks on for some scares, you got some uh, springy- I wore the wrong jeans. Easter eggy socks. Okay. I forgot to wear these closer to Easter, so I apologize, but they're huh? springy little- Little duck socks. Ducks. Duck? Maybe. 
some duck, creature. Goose. <laughs> um, so yes, now that those are on, I only have a little bit of setup on the first story before getting to the good stuff. Okay, go, go, go. California author and historian Charlie Seaman first wrote back in the early 1980s about the legend of Ojai, California's Charman. Oh my God, I love Ojai. So pretty. So, I mean, so bougie now, but so pretty. He published a little collection of sightings and and origin lore. He's one of many to have written about this alleged monster. Charlie explained that he decided to write about the legend of Charman because the story was in wide circulation in the area when he was in high school in the early and mid-60s in the Ojai Valley, small, quiet, mountain ring community, only about 14 miles inland from Ventura, California, and not that far north of Los Angeles. Beautiful area, as I said. Uh, he said he'd heard the story many times growing up from his peers and wanted to know where the hell it came from. So he did a bunch of research, took some interviews, and then shared what he found. Time now for the tale of Charman. Back in 1948, there was a massive brush fire in the Ojai Valley. 1,500 total firefighters ended up fighting a blaze that burned roughly 30,000 acres of land, much of the valley, and it consumed a total of 13 homes. Investigators determined that the fire started near the pool at Wheeler's Resort when a butane pipe burst. The blaze burned for days and days, eventually reaching a house far outside of town where a father and son lived. The dad was quite the hermit. His son was homeschooled, also never ventured much into town, and no one remembered to help the pair until it was too late. Oh, shoot. It wasn't until several days after the fire was put out before anyone even made it out to the remnants of their burned-out home in the surrounding foothills. When firefighters checked inside, they found the dead body of the father burned to a nearly unrecognizable state inside the home. And then as they searched for a second body, they heard unintelligible moaning in the distance. Looking past the wreckage of the cabin, they spotted a man, a man later presumed to be the son when his body was never recovered. And this man, the son, had been so very, very badly burned. He looked, as they said, charred. Any visible skin appeared melted and or black. Oh, God. It didn't make any sense that someone burned that badly could still be alive, much less be up and walking around. When the firefighters called out to him, he only responded with more unintelligible groaning. Assuming he was in shock and obviously badly in need of medical assistance, they started to make their way towards him. Instead of waiting for them or even moving towards them, the figure who would soon come to be known as Charman turned and incredibly began to run away. Up and over the ridge he was spotted standing on. By the time the firefighters made it to the top of the same ridge, they couldn't see where he'd gone, which also made no sense. Due to all the brush in the area being completely burned, visibility was great. They could see for hundreds of yards in any direction. So where was he? Bewildered, the men didn't know what to do next. They wanted to look for him, but where would they even begin? So still in utter confusion, they did not look for him. And then later, they would regret that when dead bodies began to turn up, alleged to be victims of Charman. This is just one version of how the legend of Charman was born. Word of this supposed encounter spread quickly and soon the story began to be shared as a campfire tale around the Ojai Valley. Like all urban legends, the story, of course, has many variations. One especially disturbing version is that when the firefighters made it to the cabin, they found that apparently the sun had not only been horribly burned in the fire, but had also gone a special kind of crazy. When the men approached the cabin, again, they didn't see him, just like in the previous version. But unlike in the previous version, they did see what he had done. And it was a sight they would never forget. He had hung the dead body of his father from what was left of a nearby tree and removed all the burned skin with a knife that was still in his bloody and charred hand when they first laid eyes upon him. 
After scanning his father, Charman fled into the surrounding hills along Old Creek Road, where several witnesses later supposedly saw him, bloody knife still in hand, where he has lived in his charred condition and possibly ever since. Every once in a while, he's said to come close enough to town to encounter someone, occasionally chasing them, sometimes catching them, and sometimes skinning them. There are rumors that several people who have gone missing in the area are his murder victims, and even darker rumors that local police have actually found some of the remains of these victims, their completely skinned bodies, and just have not shared that information with the general public to avoid creating a panic. The author I referenced before, Charlie Seaman, remembers some classmates supposedly encountering this creature in the 60s when all these stories were being talked about a lot more than they get talked about today. He said that in 1961 or 62, some teenagers he knew filed a police report after they'd been parked up at The Point, a sort of lookout spot overlooking the Ojai Valley up on Shelf Road, the area a known teen park and fool-around spot for decades. These teens said that their car had been approached by an awful-looking creature, someone badly burned and deformed. They used the word charred. They said that the figure, a moment or two after hearing them scream, fled into the darkness, and then they never saw him again. Years later in the 70s, Charlie interviewed a number of locals, including Mrs. Lynn Likens, a longtime Valley resident, about this supposed charman. Lynn had heard numerous stories about other locals sighting the creature. While she was being interviewed, her 12-year-old son came into the room and Charlie asked him about it. And he said, Yeah, I know the story. The charman lives in an old rock house down on Creek Road. My brother Chip seen him one day in the bushes outside of or out in Soul Park. My brother was in Seoul Park with some friends when this monster guy came running at them out of the bushes. He was all burned looking and wearing an old ripped up windbreaker. They rode off on their bikes and had been scared to go back. In 1967, a supposed encounter with Charman actually made it into the local paper. From the July 6th edition of the Ventura County Star Free Press. Have Ventura County youth discovered another summertime spook fat? Or is there actually a frightening hermit prowling the backcountry roads, ranting at intruders, and howling into the night? Country lawmen regard recent reports as a combination of a little bit of fact and a whole lot of youthful, vivid imagination. They've pleaded that the spook spot not be specifically identified for fear that thousands of teenagers with summer leisure time on their hands will flock to the area in search of the figure that has been described as something akin to a werewolf. If such an antisocial figure exists, they point out the hordes of thrill-seekers will make his life even more frantic. One night this week, as many as 60 county youths drove to the Mecca of Mystery, somewhere in the mountains near Ojai Valley, looking for someone they describe as the Charman, a purported antisocial individual who resists intrusion by howling at interlopers, banging on cars, and giving bodily chase. One Ojai policeman said, almost every kid in town has gone into the area looking for something unexpected and eerie. One teenager is convinced a recluse lives along a winding creek bed. Creek bed. He is Eddie White, 18, of 68 Burnham Road, Oakview. White maintains he had his sheepskin jacket torn from his back when something ran across a bridge and grabbed my neck. This incident reportedly occurred 10 days ago. The boy and seven companions returned last Saturday night. With flashlights trained along the creek bottom, the youths picked up a figure walking upstream. I guess it was a man, White recalled. We jumped into the car and locked the door. He banged on the trunk and windows. The youth described the angry face as distorted, scarred, and old. Reports draw the curious by the carload. No one found any supernatural being, but many found a convenient haven for parking and romancing, deputies said. So, crazy report, silly little story. Uh, not as crazy as this next story. 
Uh, from the early 80s comes the creepiest claim I was able to find. I was 16 and we parked up off of Shelf Road where local teens had been fooling around for years and years. It was a Thursday night and my boyfriend and I had the entire place to ourselves back in the wonderful days before cell phones and GPS tracking with apps like Find My. Back when it was so much easier to lie to your parents. You could tell them you were hanging out with so-and-so, some friend you'd had since you were in kindergarten, someone you'd ran around with literally hundreds of times. And by the time you were in high school, they'd just believe you. They even wouldn't look into it. No point in bothering the parents they'd known for years and coming across like they were paranoid helicopter parents or overly controlling. In so many ways, it really was the good old days. I'd lost my virginity in the same spot I was at just the month before, in the back of his Chevy Caprice, listening to Never Tear Us Apart by NXS. How romantic. And now that that genie was out of the bottle, I'd been back with my boyfriend as often as we could sneak away. That first night was a lot more fun than this one would be. There were tears that night, just ones based in hormones instead of terror. I don't want to use my boyfriend's real name for the story. Ojai is a small area, and it was even smaller then than it is now. Everyone knew everyone, so let's just call him Rob. Well, Rob and I were in, especially, were in an especially compromised position when it happened. We were in his back seat. Neither one of us had anything more on than our socks and shoes below the waist. He was on top of me. I was laying on my back in the back seat, and the rear passenger door behind him was open to make room for, well, I think you know what we wanted some room for. Normally, I would have never been cool with the door being open. I'm no exhibitionist now, and I was far more inhibited back in high school. But again, we had the place entirely to ourselves, or at least we thought we did. After we had just barely gotten started, back behind Rob, I saw something that made me scream bloody murder. A badly burned looking man holding a knife standing no more than 10 feet behind him. Rob about had a heart attack. He spun around as fast as he could, which was a bit awkward given the circumstances, and he didn't see anything. God, was he irritated. He thought I was just messing with him. Yeah, like I would ever think that was a fun time for a practical joke. By the time I sat up, I couldn't see that guy anymore either. It was crazy. He had looked so real. For a moment, I could see him as clear as I could see Rob. Now I remembered hearing all the stories I'd heard growing up about Charman. Remembering those stories actually made me feel better initially, because now I just assumed that it had been nothing more than my imagination. I wondered if I'd maybe overheard someone talk about Charman recently, and the story was now rolling around in my head somewhere. Despite quickly calming down, I was ready to head home. The whole vibe had been ruined, but then, teenage hormones. Rob apologized for getting irritated, in excess was still playing, and we started making out which led to more than making out, and soon I was literally in the same position I had been in before. But now, instead of enjoying it, I was just waiting for Rob to finish. I was thinking about the Charman again, the one I'd seen, at least in my mind's eye, so clearly. I couldn't stop thinking about him, and now I was waiting to see him reappear. My mind was going to the worst places. I was picturing him sneaking up behind Rob, again, so quietly. Rob wouldn't even know he was there until the knife slammed into his back. He'd scream as his blood sprayed all over me, like something out of one of those slasher flicks, like Friday the 13th. I felt like we were in one of those movies, and we had just ignored the bad guy. Anyone watching us would be calling us idiots, or worse, and wouldn't be the least surprised when we were killed. We were minor characters who had just made terrible choices and now deserved to be slashed. I was the naked, dumb teen girl in almost every one of these movies, and this was my death scene. Show some skin, then die. Mission accomplished. I got so worked up in my head about all of this, so lost in a series of scenes from a movie that had never been made, it took my mind a second or two longer than normal to register the reality of what I was now seeing when he did show back up. 
Ah! He was back. Again, he was standing behind Rob, who must have set the world record for going from laying down and having sex to standing up and being ready to fight or run, as it turned out. This time, as Rob stood, not just caught with his pants down, but caught with them completely off, he saw him too. Rob saw him standing no more than six, seven feet away, and he screamed. And then he ran. He literally ran naked off down the road and totally left me alone with the killer. I scrambled up, grabbed the door, shut it, locked it, as that thing, that deformed, hideous-looking monster, grabbed and shook the door handle. Screaming the whole time and basically completely naked, I now reached forward and locked the front door, then spun around to lock both doors on the other side. Charman, or whatever the fuck that was, he followed me, moving around the car, checking all the handles. He kept making this horrible, guttural moaning sound, like he was trying to talk, but his mouth and throat had been too mangled to speak proper words. After shaking the last handle, he screamed as much as he could scream while staring right at me. His eyes were so wide open, it looked like his eyelids had been burnt off and he couldn't close them. He then slammed his head against the rear window so hard, I thought for sure it would shatter. He did the same thing three or four times in a row. I was still screaming, still playing that part of the naked girl who gets massacred. And then car lights from someone else driving up lit him up and gave me one last look at his burnt and twisted features before he took off into the darkness. I still have no idea who was in that other car. They parked about 50 or so feet from Rob's car, and they never came out, guessing they were some teens who came up there for the same reason we had. They must have never seen what we saw, because they never came over to ask if I was okay, and they didn't drive away either. I put on my clothes as fast as I could. Rob showed up about 10 minutes later. He crept up to the car, and then BAM! He made me scream again when his head popped up outside my window and pounded on it. He had to sneak over because of the other car and the fact that he was still naked other than wearing shoes and socks. It was a long and very tense ride home that night. We both agreed that we saw something, obviously. Rob convinced himself it was just someone from town, some pervert in a costume messing with us. And who knows, maybe it was. I have heard that every few years, some local will pretend to be Charman to scare the shit out of us kids exactly like that thing scared us. But what about the headbutts? Would they do that? That seems very excessive. And trying to get into the car of a nude, screaming, underage girl? Very unlikely. Come on, that's so rapey. And would they have act and would they have had access to better horror makeup and effects than anyone making movies around that time? It all just didn't add up. I know it makes me sound crazy, but I absolutely think I saw something that was not normal, not a prank. Maybe there was something to the stories of Charman after all. Now one last thing. Actually, two last things. I never went back up to that spot again. Not ever. And yes, I dumped Rob that night. He was like the bad boyfriend in one of those slasher flicks, the one that totally ditches his defenseless girlfriend and lets her get killed. The kind I would think needs to be dumped when watching those movies. I'd like to think the guy I'm dating now would try to defend me in that kind of situation. I really hope I never find out. I highly doubt anyone will believe this story. I wouldn't if I wasn't there that night. But are you so sure it's not true that you'd be willing to drive up to that old dark makeout spot alone, out there by yourself, put yourself in a very, very vulnerable position? Would you take off your clothes and turn your back to the night, so positive that Charman wouldn't walk up behind you with his knife? The fuck was that? <laughs> you screamed too. I had to sell it. We set, we set that up earlier today. I think I just peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a good pound. <gasps> <sighs> Haven't had a jump scare for you, uh, a hard one in a while. Is that paybacks for the one I got you with? <laughs> yeah. Damn it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see the video of that.
I did not pee my pants. <laughs> Ooh, I get your Ooh. blood moving? Uh-huh. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> I think I might have ripped my headphones out. Okay. Oh, did you really? <laughs> ripped your headphones out of the wall? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, as you compose oh, yourself. Oh, okay. My, oh, shoot. I wish I had my heart rate on. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't normally look at my watch, but I want to see if it'll tell me what it jumped to. <laughs> Go ahead. Look, it, it, okay, while it's working. I'll, I'll bring Just- just for the record, I think both of you went two inches off your seats. <laughs> okay. My my resting heart rate is around 77, and it jumped to 95. Just a quick little spike. Huh? <laughs> uh, this first one is a beautiful pic of the Ojai Valley. Have you and I gone to Ojai? I think we like maybe went up there really Did you quick. Did show or something? Like, I can't remember. Something, something I remember took us through down, there. Probably Tom Saunders. Oh, yeah, maybe. I think so, actually. Okay, okay. I remember walking down like the main street with you. Ah, oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, that's it, yeah, that is so pretty. Just like uh yeah, just a big beautiful valley and like very, you know, rural comparatively. It's so close to the hustle and bustle LA. Yeah, when I first moved to LA, uh like friends that I would make that were older than me and had like, yeah. you know, money or whatever, they would like, Oh, go to Ohio for the weekend, we're gonna go to Ohio. Yeah. Blah, blah. We'll get away. And but now it's like I think it's like full of like resorts and spas. Wellness, where like yeah, yeah. I think it's I don't want to say it's lost its charm because yeah. those amenities obviously people want them, but I don't think it's as quaint as it once yeah, was. Yeah, I could not find a good uh, aerial view photo of the fire from 1948, but here is a pic of the valley on fire in 2017. This is crazy to look at. Oh my god, the fires in California just in general Whoa. are just. I mean, I mean, obviously it's so destructive. It's so terrible. Just as a photo. Oh, it's beautiful. So beautiful. Um, that's the thing about like fire and water is that it's like, you you don't, um, I mean, you have to respect what it is and how yeah. powerful and destructive yeah. it can be and all of that, but, uh, it can also be really beautiful. Here's another pic from 1948, the burnt remnants of an Ojai Valley home. Rate again. My heart is pulsing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, luckily that house was built out of stone. So parts of it survived. The, the the basic structure. Um, this next one, creepy and pretty cool looking artistic imagining of the Charman. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting illustration. And then there's just, and then just one more. This next picture is just another cool, just uh, you know, somebody's vision of Charman. Poor thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like that's a dark, yeah, uh, backstory. Okay, so I mean, I'm not a medical professional. Yeah. But like, to what degree can you be burned and still mm-hmm. live? Very badly, but not like you wouldn't just hang around on your own, right? Like, because there was a guy where I grew up. Um, there was a sawmill accident uh, that, that really hurt the town. You know, I've talked about it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it literally was an explosion. Like there was a you know some things caught fire at the sawmill, and then I can't remember what part of it with what kind of fuel there was there that some kind of gasoline or something. But it truly was like a huge explosion. Yeah. And this one guy from, I don't even want to name his name, but there's one guy from town whose yeah. daughter was in my class. Uh, he was caught in the explosion. And they were able to keep him alive till the ambulance got there. Ambulances, you know, uh, dr- ended up taking him all the way down to Boise. Might have been life flighted, but this was like 1981. Yeah. I'm not sure how they did it back then. But anyway, they got him into the burn unit of the hospital way far away in Boise. And, you know, after months and months and months of being there and skin grafts and everything, he did live. But, um, you know, like, okay, I don't know how to compare it to if you haven't seen somebody like this, Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Not quite to that degree, but actually very close. And, yeah. you know, the cartilage is like his ears were burned off. His nose yeah. was burned off. Yeah. His eyelids were burned off. So there was just, you know. 
And your skin doesn't grow back. Like, no, I mean, it they can, can do, they with can the graphing, right? That's what that is? Yeah, they yeah. can do cosmetic surgery to, like, like, give you, like, what would be, like, a new eyelid and or, like, a new ear, but it's not going to look the same. And especially back then, it didn't look the same. Right. And, and I mean, great guy. He was able to have, like, a, you know, not be in constant pain yeah. and able to raise his daughter and everything and, and super well-respected guy. But, I mean, the word disfigured is what comes. I mean, he was severely disfigured. I think I'd rather die. I think just like it wouldn't I'm vain to mm-hmm. a degree. I think we all are. I mean, we all care yeah. right. That's why we like brush our hair and brush our teeth and yeah. like why we put on makeup or dress nicely. Like we all have an element of vanity to us. Yeah. I am more sensitive to how other people would see me. Mm. I don't think I could handle It might change you though. I mean, I know you're no, thinking that. I don't know that I could handle being out in public and little kids being like <gasps> Because right. that is what's going to happen. Yes, and yes. I think it would break me because I'm I'm so sensitive. But maybe you're stronger than you know. Maybe you, there would be a a, a, no. a strength you didn't know you had. No, mm, yeah. I, I don't want to find out. Well, no, nobody does. Nobody. <laughs> but like, does. I mean, no, I I would rather just die. I would uh. like I don't. Um, it's one thing for it to be like one arm, one leg, you know, but like your whole body, your face. It's like you can't you can't cover that up. You can't hide that. You have a major adjustment, obviously. Oh, but I, I have like, you know, like read enough like stories from people who have been in not necessarily burns, but like things that like dramatically like like multiple amputations, like flesh eating yeah. bacteria. Yeah. And it's interesting. There are examples of people who felt like you felt. I know. And then after getting through it, they found strength they didn't know they had. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just yeah. saying I'm very aware of who yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, I've told you this many times. Like yeah. if it's like, you know we're going to have to amputate this body part or, you know, or she lives. And it's like, ah, no, thanks. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I just, that's just not who I am. And I'm very aware of that. And I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, there was, um, there's some girl that I don't even, I follow her on Instagram, but she was mauled by a dog. And they, I think she like lost the bottom half of her jaw, but she had like a jaw replacement surgery. Wow. It is so fascinating what they're, yeah, they're able to do better now. and better at stuff yeah so i mean Face I, transplants i guess i should say all of this with an asterisk of like i think what scares me outside of the reaction of people around me mm-hmm. the pain yeah because oh. there's something about skin grafts it's like they can they can't give you an extreme amount of pain reliever because i think it like huh. thins your blood and because you're so exposed i feel like oh, no. i've heard and or read that before Oof. Well, that was my big question. Like, yeah. could he have actually? No, no he, he would have died. He, he, he could have been okay when they went up there in the the origin story. Yes, in in a non paranormal world, if you went up, could they have seen him in that state standing? Yes, severe shock. Right, but in all likelihood, well, and the, and the he way probably they would have died. The way they set it up, they set it up days after the fire. They could have seen him like that. Within minutes of the fire. Right. I Maybe think hours. But hours. But in reality, if it was days, nah, he'd be dead. I know. I was like, it's a great story, but it yeah. definitely feels like folklore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, yeah. which whatever. I'm I'm down for that. I'm, I want to go to that teen makeout spot with you. Mm, I like that. Okay. Uh, do you want to go learn now about the only home in America to be declared legally haunted? Um. Okay. Before we head to New York, first, our mid-show sponsor break. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Okay, just a bit of setup before I share the paranormal stuff with this one. Uh, The Ackley House, as it is known normally, uh, was the center of the 1991 so-called Ghostbusters ruling of the New York Supreme Court. And the court declared the house to be legally haunted. Mm -hmm. To this day, it remains the only legally haunted home in America. The house, located in Nyack, New York, at One Levetta Place, was built over 130 years ago in 1890. 
It's a large Victorian built on the bank of the Hudson River. The house originally served as both a boarding house and a private residence. Over seven decades later, George and Helen Ackley purchased the house in the 1960s. They lived there with their four children, Cynthia, George, Kara, and William. Helen Ackley wrote that she and George had first seen the house in July of 1967. At that point, it had been abandoned for about seven years. Helen later wrote for an article in Reader's Digest, Its waist-high lawn clutched about a sturdy stone foundation. Its wood-shingled roof was awry. But as I followed the real estate agent and my husband, George, into the spacious hall, I knew I was home. George moved in first while Helen traveled between the house and their farm in Maryland. Time now for the tale of Legally Haunted. Some local children were the first to warn the new family that the house was haunted, although these claims have no documented evidence. One afternoon, some neighborhood kids approached Helen, who was visiting to help make some repairs, and when she told the kids they could look through the house, two of them stayed behind. The ones who did came forward said, or who did come forward said, they think there's ghosts in there. They're scared. Do you know you bought a haunted house? Then, still before the entire family moved in, a plumber who was working in the basement to get the place ready reported hearing footsteps walking above him when he was home alone. None of this gave Helen and the rest of her family pause, though. One evening, shortly after they'd all moved in, Helen got into bed with George, and when she got up to turn the hall light off, George told her not to and said he'd kept the light on since he since the first night he'd moved in, adding, I don't want to discuss it. Good night. <laughs> I don't think I would get away with saying that to you and not giving you a reason for why I said it. Absolutely not. Still, Helen was not concerned about the place. The energy felt good to her. George Ackley died after a heart surgery just over a decade later in 1978. He was only 53. Oh, man. He didn't die in the house, but he did die believing the house was haunted. Guess we'll never know what he saw or heard that he didn't want to discuss. If he ever told Helen, she doesn't seem to have made that information public. Helen Ackley and her family members were all very open about the fact that their house was haunted before and after George's death. She wrote about years' worth of their experiences to Reader's Digest and also shared the story of her home with a local newspaper three different times between 1977 and 1989. The house even ended up being included in a walking tour of Nyack, noted both for its architecture and reports of spirits. Helen claimed that there were three spirits haunting the house. She believed that two of them were a married couple from the 18th century, The third, she felt, was a Navy lieutenant from the American Revolutionary War period. Helen spoke about how the ghosts interacted with her family to anyone who asked. One of her stories was about a time a ghost watched her paint. She wrote, One day I attacked the battleship Gray living room. Paint time was at hand, and I was perched atop an eight-foot stepladder when I felt watching eyes. I turned my head. The room was empty. I started working again, but the eerie feeling persisted, so I spoke out loud. I hope you like the color. Hope you're pleased with what we're doing to the house. It certainly must have been lovely when it was first built. And then I looked over my shoulder again. He sat there in midair, smiling at me from the front of the cold fireplace. Hands clasped around his crossed knees. He was nodding and rocking. He faded slowly, still smiling, and was gone. I knew then that he approved of the work our family had lavished on our mutual home. Helen said in a New York Times article, Ghost number three was a Navy lieutenant during the American Revolution. My son saw him eyeball to eyeball outside the basement door. The ghost also gifted Helen's family trinkets. For example, her grandchildren were all gifted baby rings. Helen's daughter-in-law was given coins, and her daughter Cynthia was given silver sugar tongs. Helen said she has no idea how the spirits got a hold of those things. One spirit supposedly woke Cynthia up every morning for months by shaking her bed. 
but not in a terrifying way. Randomly in a helpful way. When she was out for spring break, she said out loud she didn't have school and wanted to sleep in, and the next morning the bed didn't shake. (laughs) How unusual. (laughs) Helen told neighbors about disembodied footsteps and doors slamming by themselves. George Ackley, before he passed, obviously, said he saw disembodied moccasin-clad feet walk past him. Light cords were witnessed moving on their own. Doors would burst open and windows would slide open and shut. Some of their friends also claimed to experience the paranormal in the house. In 1974, Helen's cousin Alfred, his wife Ingrid, and their daughter came to visit. After their first night, Ingrid said someone was walking in the room and she saw a man dressed in a revolutionary period jacket outlined against the French doors. He sat on the foot of their bed and opened a book, which was glowing. He read through the book, closed it, stood up, and then disappeared. At one point, Helen lived in the house with her children, grandchildren, daughter-in-law, and future son-in-law. And all of them would claim encounters. But also, none of them would claim any sense of terror associated with these encounters. Mark Cavanaugh lived in the home when he was engaged to Cynthia Ackley. He too, like his mother-in-law, would write about the haunting in a blog post titled, Ghost of Nyack, Background About the House. This story deals with the house that my wife Cynthia spent her teen years in. Neighbor kids told them as they moved in that the house was haunted. It wasn't until later that the Ackleys found the truth. The ghosts and the Ackleys lived at peace with each other. There was never an intentional scare to any of the Ackleys or their visitors. Kavanaugh claimed he had two personal experiences with the ghosts after he moved in with Cynthia. He wrote, The first happened on Christmas Eve. I was home alone due to various activities. I was playing Christmas Elf in the living room, putting gifts together. It was totally quiet in the house. After a while, I kept hearing a muffled conversation coming from the dining room around the wall. I would get up and walk over, and nobody was there. I felt like I was being watched. I purposely turned on every light in the surrounding rooms. I was getting nervous. Then my future brother-in-law suddenly pounded on the door, making my skin, or making me jump out of my skin, and the talking stopped. The second incident happened in our bedroom on the third floor. It was a clear, dark night. Sin had already fallen asleep, and I was drifting. Then I heard the bedroom door creak and the floorboard squeak. My back was to the edge of the bed. Suddenly, the edge of the bed by my midsection depressed down and I felt something lean against me. I went literally stone stiff. I was speechless and could hardly move. I was able to twist my neck around enough to see a womanly figure in a soft dress through the moonlight from the bay windows. I felt like she was looking straight at me. After about a minute, this presence got up, walked back out of the room. I finally relaxed enough to shake my wife out of a sound sleep, acting like a toddler who had just had a nightmare. Kavanaugh thinks the ghosts were testing him because they wanted to see if he was a good match for Cynthia. (laughs) The Ackleys lived peacefully with the ghosts for many years. Eventually, Helen wanted to sell the house, though, not due to anything paranormal, but because of high tax rates. She was having more and more trouble affording. She wanted to move to Florida or Texas, so she listed her house with Richard Ellis of Ellis Realty in 1989. A married couple named Jeffrey and Patricia Stambovsky were soon interested in buying. After Jeff and Patricia signed and made a $32,500 down payment on the $650,000 house, Helen, interestingly, refused to sign her part of the contract until the haunting was disclosed. The real estate broker now called Jeff Jeff Stambovsky and told him about the haunting. And Jeff laughed and said, we'll have to call in the Ghostbusters. The real estate broker now informed Helen that Jeff knew about the haunting and so she signed the contract. And that is her version of the story. Jeff and Patricia, however, later said they were definitely not informed about the haunting. The Strambovskis both claimed they did not know the house was haunted until an architect said to them, oh, you're buying the haunted house. Jeff said he didn't believe in ghosts, but he did believe the value of a house would be negatively affected by rumors of ghosts. 
A week after the contracts were signed, Jeff requested a meeting at the house to talk about the ghosts. Helen told him about the haunting in person. Jeff then filed an action requesting recession of the contract and requesting damages for fraudulent misrepresentation by Helen Ackley and Ellis Realty. The New York Supreme Court trial court dismissed Jeff's suit, ruling that buyers were responsible to find defects themselves. But Stambovsky's appealed the decision. Stambovsky versus Ackley was finally decided on July 18, 1991. The appellate court ruled that the legal protection of caveat emptor, or buyer beware, should be, should be set aside because it would be impossible for prospective buyers to determine if a house was haunted. And Stambovsky was now allowed to seek rescission of the contract and recover his down payment. The court decided that a negative reputation, in this case about a haunting, is not a physical defect, but it is something that can devalue a house and therefore should be disclosed to buyers. The court ruled that because Helen Ackley was so open in promoting the house as being haunted, she should have done the same for the buyers, which again, she said she did, but the Stambovskys claimed she did not, and the court believed the Stambovskys. The ruling, in the end, actually did not hurt Helen's plan to relocate to Florida at all, however. After the decision, local real estate agents quickly received between 25 and 50 potential buyers calling them. One of the potential buyers was the amazing Kreskin, a so-called mentalist who wanted to buy the home for his collection of paranormal paraphernalia. Helen Ackley ended up selling the house for an undisclosed sum. I'm guessing it was much more than the Stambovskys were going to pay for it due to the increased attention and demand. And she moved to Florida, 1991. And allegedly, what a fun detail, or detail, Helen told everyone who would listen that she was taking her spirits with her. (laughs) And maybe she did. She passed away in 2003. After she moved out, there was no more accounts of spiritual activity from the subsequent owners. The Ackley house is truly a unique story. A believer, Helen Ackley, attempted to sell her haunted house to a skeptic who, although he claimed he never believed in ghosts, believed the label of a haunted house would hurt the resale value. As a result, the Ackley house became and remains to this day uh, haunted, quote, as a matter of law, (laughs) the only legally haunted house in America. That is fun. Yeah, it's a fun little story, right? It's a cool backstory, you Mm -hmm. know, it just, I don't know. Just a random anomaly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know that there was actually any house in America that was legally haunted. I know, that is pretty funny. Uh, so I have a few pictures. Okay. Uh, this first one is just the, the Ackley house. So, okay, you know, yep, cute yep, house but, on the Hudson. Yep, but looks like a house that could definitely be haunted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this next one is Helen working on her beloved home, giving it some paint. Oh, Helen. <laughs> she seems fun. Uh, this this uh, third photo is a newspaper clipping about the court's ruling that the house was indeed legally haunted, the Ghostbusters ruling. Court believes in ghosts. Oh, the house used to be red. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then finally, uh, Slimer from the original Ghostbusters franchise, because why not? Oh, man. That immediately makes me want Ecto Cooler, which you cannot get. Anymore. Oh, yeah. You've talked about that. Yeah. Funny. Can't get it. There was like a brief moment where they brought it back. I went to, it was, I think. Who only, brought it back? You said, it, which uh, I think it was when they did like the, um, the Megan McCarthy reboot of Ghostbusters with uh, Maya Rudolph. Yeah. And but, like, who's, but who sold it? What franchise? Uh, I don't. Hi, C. Thank you. Ah, uh, okay. And I think you bought they, it at the grocery store. Well, I tried to. You uh, couldn't fucking find yeah. it. I tried like every Walmart under the sun because I think it was a contract with like exclusively at Walmart. So I remember doing all this research because I was seeing it on social media. People had it. And I did hear it didn't quite taste the same, but uh, like the nostalgia of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. It, it's just like those. Um, Oh my God. It was like Capri Sun. No, close. <laughs> okay. Do you remember like little Huggies? The little like barrel looking thing? Oh, absolutely. Things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those. And then the other like companion to that was it's like, um, they were like 
tall, skinny plastic, like squeezy bottles, and they have like faces on them. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. What were those called? Sque- not squeeze it. You like it was like a oh, twist and pull. It? it was like you had to twist the cap off. Yeah. Was yeah. it maybe a squeeze it? No, I don't think mm. so. You can look it up. But it was just like this. Uh, when we were younger, well, like I grew up very much without anything. It was squeeze it. It was squeeze it. Okay, okay yeah. cool. Yep. And uh, my mom had to work often extra jobs to yeah. pay the bills. And so on Saturdays, I don't know if she was going to like, she was going to some sort of class so that she could get some other job or whatever. I don't know. She would drop my brother and I off at um, Cub Foods. It was like a, think of like a Winco, like a kind yeah, of like yeah, warehousey yeah. sort of vibe. You could buy in bulk. It was the cheapest grocery store. She would give us $100. And she was like, if you can get everything that's on the list and keep it under budget, you can get like whatever ah. treat you wanted and squeeze it. That was a treat. That was that a goal. Was, that was my top. Jason always wanted ice cream. Yeah. I always wanted a sweet sugary treat. That's a, that's a smart parental thing to do. Like, you know, like, you know, do a little research so you know it's like possible, but like, okay, encourage your kids to like budget, mm-hmm. you know, come up, cut coupons, whatever. I mean, I know coupons aren't necessarily the same thing now, but the equivalent with an yeah. app or something and be like, okay, if you can get all of these things on this list for less than this amount, you can spend the remaining amount on some special treat. Yeah. I sent the kids grocery shopping a couple of times. It was like, okay, like yeah, you got to do learn it. About it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it worked, <laughs> quite honestly. Oh, yeah. Those were the good old days. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so are you going to have your crochet la or are you going to have- Old school, Whoa. OG Layla. OG Layla. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, I have three stories for you, as previously mentioned. Yeah. Uh, my first story made me a little bit uncomfortable. You'll see why in a minute. On our show, we often say if more than one person sees something, that gives it more validity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this situation, it's like a family sees it in different, not all together. And I was thinking about how much more plausible that makes it even further because it's like Mm -hmm. your family are the people that you spend the most time with, that you know the best, that you trust the most. Like if you saw something and then you never told me about it and then I came home and I was like, I saw the strangest thing today. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd be like, wait, what? You know, that would be... Pretty good confirmation, don't you think? Mm -hmm, I do. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get to it. No real, like, she just dives right in. Okay. My neighborhood growing up was in the suburbs, with the houses super close to each other. The only thing different about my suburb was that a state forest was behind the houses. It belonged to a company called Pratt & Whitney, a factory that would test airplanes. So naturally, this factory had a mini airport. However, after 9-11, they had been so terrified to do any plane work for fear that they would be attacked that they decided to shut that part down and sell it to national development. Growing up, I remember going outside and always seeing both small and huge planes flying low and close to our neighborhood. It was never anything unusual for our family to hear the loud engines of the planes as they soared through the clouds. One day, my mom had decided that it was time for our medium-sized family to move to who knew where, mm-hmm. especially considering that the housing market was going up and my mom couldn't find anything to her liking. Needless to say, us kids were moving things into a pod storage unit either way. I needed a moment to breathe away from everyone else and stepped outside. I looked up into the beautiful, clear skies, only a few clouds floating around, when I noticed a small silver piece of something floating in the atmosphere. It was round and shiny, had no lights, and was blimp-shaped. The object didn't make a single sound, which I thought was weird, especially because I knew how normal planes made so much turbine noise. Mm -hmm. I was watching it as it drifted back and forth and back and forth. My eldest brother joined me outside where I pointed it out to him. 
Right as he looked up at it, the floating metal object went behind a small cloud and disappeared. Just like that. Gone. Of course, my brother and I brushed it off and never talked to anyone about it. About a week later, my mom picked me up from the bus stop about a block away with my little sister in the back seat. When I started to get into the van, my mom huffed. Knowing exactly what that meant, I asked, What happened, mom? Well, your sister and I just saw the strangest thing. Yeah, what was that? Well, it was like like a metal blimp in the sky hovering over our house, like super close to the house, closer than the airplanes that fly over. What, what could I say? That I had seen it too? And then I blurted out, Brandon and I saw something like that a week ago. My mom looked at me with be- bewilderment. We brushed it off yet again. We started talking about the experience at the dinner table that, light, that night. My second oldest brother had a story to tell us about how one night when we were young, there was a very, very bright light out in the forest. It was so bright it had woken him up. He said he stared at it for a total of 10 minutes and, then, and that the light had filled the entire forest. My mom chimed in with one more story that then ended our conversation. Apparently, my uncle had seen something like this when he was a teenager. He had refused to talk about it for fear that people would think he was insane. One drunken night, he told my mom that he had seen an extremely bright light in a baseball field while driving. He didn't get out of the car as he was much less of a Darren because he decided to get the fuck out. <laughs> Your fan, Jenica. I mean, Jenica, I mean, it sure sounds like, I mean, like, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely literally a UFO. So literally. Like, as far as unidentified flying objects. Right. And then the only question is, is it something that uh, is of this world that they didn't recognize or is it aliens? Right, right. Or is it like, uh, okay, so I became a little bit obsessed with like, how often do people claim to see a UFO? And then like, yeah. when you say UFO, people immediately jump to alien, but like, it can be anything floating in the yep. sky. And I was thinking about those Chinese spy balloons that oh, we yeah. had people earlier this year. Oh yeah, those UFOs for some people for sure. And of course, because you would. in fact, it was an unidentified flying object yep. when they saw it, they didn't know what it was yet. So anyways, just like a really quick Google. And there are these, um, I don't know exactly what the balloons are made of, but they are big, shiny light bulb shaped balloons. I was like, oh, if I saw that, I would 1000% think it was a fucking alien. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, they're like weather balloons. These ones that like for atmospheric testing uh-huh. that they've had throughout the years. And they think they're behind a lot of supposed UFO sightings. With this story though, what about the, um, what was lighting up the forest at night? I know. And what about the fact that it made no noise? Well, if it was a balloon. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there would be no, but the, but the lighting up the force. And there was a little thing about like, I don't know how small the cloud was in the very first sighting mm-hmm. of, but she said it went behind a small cloud and then it was just gone. Mm-hmm. So th- Yeah, I guess a weather balloon wouldn't do that because it would just float. Yeah, eventually it would come out from behind the cloud. Uh-huh. Huh? Who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I am most excited for this story. Okay. Uh, for you, it's going to be really hard to handle this story. It's going to be a, a while before you want to look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, which yeah. I, oh, yep. It just made me so happy because I was like, oh, he's going to hate this so much, which is great. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. I figured this was a good time to tell you my story since the movie Smile came out. Oh, God. It's really pushed me to send this to you guys. I have been hesitant to send it in, but my girlfriend encouraged me. Ever since I was a little kid, I have always been a creeper, but I think that's what terrifies me even more about the smile. I have always believed in the paranormal ever since I was little, about five. I'm not sure if my belief came before or after what I saw on my fifth birthday. What I do know is that it still haunts and follows me to this day and has given me a giant, irrational fear of any reflective surface. 
It was the night of my fifth birthday. I had just gotten home from a long day of family parties after my parents had finally gotten me to my room and into bed. I quickly fell asleep only to be woken up a few hours later to experience the smiling face in the corner of the window. It wasn't just any smiling face, though. It had pulsing yellow eyes and a distorted Cheshire grin with an unnatural amount of teeth. Obviously, being five years old, I was fucking terrified, and I quietly slumped out of my bed and crawled to my parents' room because I was convinced someone was outside my window. I woke up my parents, telling them someone was outside my window. They chalked it up to me having a nightmare and took me back to my room, reassuring me that no one was there. As soon as we came through my bedroom door, it was still there. And this time, it was in the opposite corner, and it was also closer and more defined. I could see the outline of a humanoid shadow. Needless to say, I didn't get much sleep that night. As I got older, the sightings kept occurring, and it soon became a nightly occurrence. I tried not paying attention to it by covering the window, but then it changed when and where it would appear. I started seeing it in every mirror in my parents' house. I would never enter a bathroom without first reaching in my hand and turning the lights on, and I would never turn the lights off until I was out of the bathroom. And I would never, and I mean never, look into the mirror, which this all helped most of the time. There were still many nights that I would wake up in pure fear and terror to see that my blinds on my window had been opened after I had definitely closed them. I would lay there frozen, just staring at the window and see the glowing yellow eyes. And it always knew when I was looking at it, because as soon as my eyes would lock onto them, they would slowly adjust, and then the smile would slowly start to creep across the glass. This went on for 11 years, until one day, my dumbass 16-year-old self got the genius idea to try and confront whatever had been tormenting me. So I went into the bathroom in the middle of the day, I closed my eyes, and I turned off the lights. When I opened them, I stared at myself in the mirror. I remember yelling, just leave me alone. Hindsight, terrible plan. As soon as the words left my mouth, I was still looking at myself, or at least what I thought was myself. And as I watched, I started smiling and the smile just kept growing to the point of almost contorting my face. It was the most eerie and malevolent smile I'd ever seen. It was like me trying to get rid of the being only made it even more attached to me. I started seeing that same eerie, malevolent smile every time I would look at myself in the mirror. I started seeing it in public. I would see it on other people's reflections and them looking directly at me. They would give me the same smile, even if they hadn't been previously looking in my direction. I was terrified to look at anything reflective. It stayed in reflections and only in reflections until I was 20. And that's when I started seeing people's actual faces contort into that smile and watch their eyes go dark. Now, a shadow person with that smile could be found in my room at any time of the day or the night. At night, it gets closer to my bed and to me. Maybe it feels my vulnerability. There have been quite a few times I have woken up to it being just inches from my face. I've tried almost everything to get rid of it or cleanse myself of it, but whatever it is, nothing has worked. Nathan. Uh, makes you want to watch Smile again. <gasps> so creepy. That movie really scared you. It didn't bother me nearly as much. Yeah, yeah. It really creeped me out. And then just that, you know, just playing again with that thing of like this week and last week with uh, Urban Legends, you know, and then like, could it possibly manifest itself into reality? Or, or are we imagining things that are real in some way? It's yeah. like, what if the creators of Smile, you know, uh, tapped into 
you know, imagining or, or creating uh-huh. something that does exist out there. And what if Nathan's also seen it? Yeah. God, that'll be a, oh man, a terrible monster. Just that phenomenon. Just that, just that, especially like with his, like that gradual thing of like, you know, seeing this face, this like, you know, like detached entity mm-hmm. that has this crazy grin. And then it goes from that. And then after 11 years goes to now in the reflection, seeing it in his own face and seeing it, you know, reflected out about, and then another leap a couple of years later, we're seeing other people's faces start yep. to change. Like I would be in a mental institution. I, I would I be sedated. I would be like, you have to fucking get this out of my head. I know I am actually a bit worried about Nathan because it's been with him for so long. And I think what concerns me in this instance is that he has tried various ways of getting rid of it. And so we don't have a mm-hmm. Darren on our hands. It's like, yeah. he's not just like uh, goading it to come out, teasing it, trying mm-hmm. to you know interact with it. He's actively trying to get rid of it and cannot. Mm-hmm. And do you remember- It's like you're cursed. Mm-hmm. Remember that story? It was quite a while ago, and it was some ritual like the mirror game, and you had to be like in the center, like surrounded by mirrors. Yeah, we've done a couple like mirror ritual uh, stories, but yes. After that, someone must have recently listened to that episode because in the last month or so, I got an email from a wicked a witch, and she was just like, "Listen." Mirrors are so dangerous, always. And she was talking about something about just like in general, um, what? Nothing. Every once in a while, that doll, I just just eyeball it. Yeah. Okay. Um, She said, like, if you just went and stared at yourself in the mirror, just in general, like after a few, I think she said like three minutes, there is like some scientific proof that Hmm. it kind of like starts, your vision kind of starts to distort or something, or it's like something about like looking at yourself for that long. Uh, Just the way your brain processes that. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember if she said like doing it in the dark, but then she started referencing all these um, like rituals. She's like, just don't fucking do it. Ever. Like it's mm-hmm. such a bad idea. And it, it I don't know, the way that she wrote this email, I felt like, okay, I'm gonna heed your warning. <laughs> okay. It was yeah. very like, oh, don't, don't be an idiot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So Nathan, I don't know what to tell you. Good but creepy, I mean, creepy story when it's not you. I know. Great story when you don't have to deal with it. Okay. One more? Yeah. Okay. We are headed to Africa. Oh, cool. Yes, yes. I love um, you know, that what I find so wild, cool, and interesting is that you know, horror stories transcend all barriers. Yeah, they're global. It's so interesting that it's like, you know, like a race, religion, country, uh, gender. Mm-hmm. It's like we all have some, well, in our community, like everyone just loves a good distracting horror tale. Mm-hmm. And there'll be, there'll be like little cultural differences with certain uh-huh. entities, but then also a lot of like similarities with these things all around the world, no matter where you see them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, shadowy I don't know, creatures tend to show up in every single culture. I like the sweeter side of it that's like, uh, it somehow bonds us all together. Mm-hmm. Just like, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. You you know, we enjoy these yeah. together and we can all relate to them. Mm-hmm. Feels like a special little thing. Greetings, Bad Magic crew. My name is Happy. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I know, which does not fit this show, but um, I'm, okay, this is so hard for me to say, Rwandanese, mm-hmm. though currently living in Kampala. I am a nomad, or rather, my work takes me around the African continent, and so I have seen and heard things that only exist in other people's nightmares, which I can only imagine. I write this to share a tale with you. I did not live this story, but it has been told to me. I hope it scares you enough. Not to death, though, because I need my weekly fix. (laughs) Or maybe daily. Who exactly do I talk to about that? The Jacket and the Tombstone. Sarah was her name and flirting was her game. James knew he had to get her number. 
Maybe meet up later in the week for another coffee date or something? Get to know her better. In fact, he'd already planned their entire future. Three kids, two boys, one girl, maybe a dog. He would be the loving husband and she the doting wife. She, a registered nurse, he, a doctor, maybe even at the same hospital, Grey's Anatomy style. (laughs) Did it matter that they had just met? No, I mean, Tinder had matched them. She was everything he could ever dream of, and even more beautiful than her pictures. They had had all their conversations on the app, Sarah's idea. She didn't want to give her number to strangers unless they earned it, she said. And boy, was he determined to earn it. By all measurements, the date was a success. He was sure of it. She had laughed at all his corny jokes. The conversations seemed to flow smoothly like fine wine. And as they left the restaurant, she shivered in the cold breeze. It looked like it was going to rain. And like the gentleman he was, he gave her his jacket. Thirty minutes later, he pulled up to her house. Light rain pattered on the windshield. He could see through the rain a woman opened the door and stood there, looking at him. Probably her mother or one of her sisters. She leaned over, pecked him on the cheek, and said she had a nice time. Pick me up on Thursday at six. Don't be late, she said, and then she was gone. He drove away, smiling, his fingers caressing the kissed cheek. Thursday couldn't come soon enough. He pulled up in front of her house once again, daisies in hand, her favorite flower, according to her profile, and he knocked. An elderly woman opened the door. Can I help you? Hi, I'm James. I'm here for Sarah. Is she ready? Confusion washed over the lady's face in an instant. Who? Sarah. For a moment, he thought maybe he had the wrong address. Maybe he'd knocked on the wrong door. Sarah's not here. Oh, well, do you know when she'll be back? I can wait for her. Sarah is not here. You need to leave. Mm. Oh, well, excuse me. You don't understand. On Monday, I dropped her off and we were supposed to... Oh, that's not possible, she interrupted quickly, shaking her head. He was now growing frustrated. Sarah had said that her mother was a little old school. Maybe she didn't approve of him? Monday evening, I dropped her off. You or maybe one of her sisters opened the door? And a realization dawned on her, and she began to sob. The old woman maybe just forgot, and him reminding her had embarrassed her? Oh, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just trying to... Silencing him with a wave of her hand, she motioned for him to follow her. She led him to the back of the house. Right there, under a jacaranda tree, was a grave. Sarah's grave. She'd been dead for nine years to the day. On the tombstone hung his jacket. Wait a minute. Hung the jacket of the guy who went to ask her uh, to pick her up again? They had, yeah, they had a date. Right, they had a date. He gave her the jacket. So did he have a date? It was just a fucking ghost? Right. Yeah, the jacket, the jacket details. I know. Because that, that story, and talk about like, you know, like there's, um, Cultural similarities. Mm-hmm. There was a story I told a long time I ago, set in, I, I want to say Mexico. Yes, that was very, very similar to this story. Yes, but, w- but with some, you know, interesting like differences. The jacket detail is a great difference. <sighs> really good difference. I know. I wonder if that freaked the mom out in that. Then, like, which, well, must have. But yeah. I mean, I, maybe she doesn't know where the jacket came from. But just like this random stranger yeah, coming yeah, to yeah, your yeah, house, yeah, 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 asking for your daughter on the nine-year anniversary of her mm-hmm. death. That is uber specific. I like to think that that like um, story originated uh, in Rwanda. Oh, wait, uh, I, she's Rwanda, but she didn't maybe. He is. Or, sorry, he's Rwanda. I think he. Uh, the, way, yeah. uh, the way that Sonny the, the way, emails are written. Yeah. Um, Rwandanese. Yeah. But currently living in Kampala. So, so but spends, yeah. uh, sounds like work takes this person all over Africa. Right. So, you know, I this story, I'm assuming has yeah, African origins. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that's that's just an interesting thing too, where it's like uh, I would I I would like to think, and I, I hope just for the magicalness of it, that that same kind of folklore story just separate originated in both like continents mm-hmm. and just I came up, that. and it's like, yeah, where, why, 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 why would um, where does that come from? I don't know. It, um, when this was sent in, it was sent with three stories, and I just this was my favorite of yeah, the three. Yeah, yeah. But then um, they also shared a story of the hooved woman. I think I feel like we've discussed her before, but it was just well that that archetype or whatever yeah. legend folklore. Th- there's also like multiple stories in different countries of like um you know uh women who like like they look beautiful from far away. Yes, but then there's like um sometimes they have like uh, hooves, hooved feet, yeah, and, and then sometimes there's some facial disfiguration when they get close. Like you know the legend varies and stuff, but that's also again interesting that 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 shows up in different like you know, countries and places around the world, different cultures. Yeah, it was really, um, it was fun. It was like, you know, these guys, it was it was a story again that Happy had not lived through, but had been shared with him or her. Yeah. Uh, oh, Happy, that's right. I, I changed it my brain to Sunny. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was like some dudes out dancing mm-hmm. on a Friday or Saturday night, mm-hmm. just having a good time. This like beautiful, gorgeous woman mm-hmm. approaches one of the guys in their group. They Gets s- him to wander out in the forest? No. Oh. They spend the mm-hmm. evening dancing, hanging out, blah, blah, blah. She sits down at their table with them. And somehow the conversation turns into like, you know, random stories of folklore. And the someone mentions the the... The, the hooved, hooved woman. Yeah. And she basically says, you mean like this? And then reveals. And then reveals her hooved foot. Ah. Like, was she really there? Were like, did yeah. these people have this shared experience? Were people around them in that same club seeing the woman? Like, If you lived through that, how cool would that be to actually have met something that's like, that's impossible. Like there, you can't, there is no human, non-paranormal human that just has like the the lower half of their leg is like a deer leg or Alien a goat dude. leg. dude. <laughs> No, not even alien dude. He hasn't had the uh, uh, operation yet. But he he's he's trying to. But even that, it would it would be like an obvious. But if it was clearly an animal, like an animal yeah. appendage on a human body, I know. Because then, like we've talked about here, that just takes one story to be real. But then that would be like, oh fuck, who knows what else is out there? I really like. I hear you mm-hmm. that it would be that's a an, if you want to have a paranormal encounter. That yeah, especially a, like you're in a little festive area, you're hanging out with some friends and you all get to see this thing. Yeah. You're not really scared. No, but it's the after effects. I'm not scared in the moment. Oh, you're scared like it's, that night going to bed. Well, it's everything thereafter. Every mm-hmm. sound. I'm like, well, it could be something because it's oh, real. It's yeah. all real. Yeah, it would it drive just, you. It would haunt you. Mm-hmm. Literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Eat you. Wah, wah. Good stuff. I like those little quick ones. I know. They're nice. It's a nice um, counterbalance to your long ones. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, hurry up so we can go find that makeout spot. <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, do you want me to do my Annabelle's or do you want to do, to do oh, yours first? I could first? go first. Okay. I could go first. Uh, Annabelle shout outs. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Jonathan Yarbrough, Annie Siff, Pacey Ann Cortez, Taylor Durso, Rebecca Armbruster, Dolce woof, Rubelkava. <laughs> I don't know. When you pause, I was going to say Dolce de Leche. <laughs> I was going to say Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> Very different people, you and I. Lori Bay Craycroft, Ephraim Sharp. I love that name, Ephraim. Mm-hmm. I love that name. Alexis Stovall and Kristen. Oh, perfect. Uh, I will thank the following Annabelle's. The Marquise of Transition of the Royal Court of Hedonia, Lady Breen. <laughs> I think you should have said that with like more. Oh, yeah. The Marquise of Transition of the Royal Court of Hedonia, Lady Breen. Well done. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sarah Shell, Melissa Bray, Tia. Star Sprague, Anna 
Yusitalo, Brian, Emily Siebert Garner, Sophia Lopez. Wait, was it Brian, Emily, or is it Brian? Brian, pause. Next person. Next person, Emily Siebert Garner. I thought it was Brian, like one named Brian, Emily. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a weird combo I've never heard. (laughs) And then finally, Jessica Fluellen. Fluellen. That's Mm -hmm. a last name. Yeah. All right, spooby shout outs to Mikey from Melissa. Happy fifth anniversary. To John and Lisa, congratulations on your wedding. To Michael from Monica, happy anniversary. To Hayden from Allie, thanks for proposing. It's unreal to call you my fiance. Thanks for being mm. my safe space. Oh, fiance phase is so fun. Yeah. Live in the, the love bubble. bubble. Mm-hmm. I know it's the best. Uh, to Becky from Ash, happy birthday to my wild, cool, and interesting creeper friend. Love you lots. And to Smoochie Pie Lou from your <laughs> momard, happy 10th birthday. Oh, I know. And that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. And again, you can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith, Tyler C., for the work on social media, and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thank you to Tyler C. for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four. I found the first story I told this week. Thank you to Olivia Lee for finding the second. You can subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you'd like to watch the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content. See the photos that accompany the episodes at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with over 20,000 horror-loving members. And you can follow us on TikTok at Scared to Death Podcast as well for show highlights. Great way to add some visuals. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog ad free and so much more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. Would you take off your clothes and turn your back to the night? So positive that Charman wouldn't walk up behind you with his knife.